Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Yeah? Yeah. My name is Eric, if you don't know me. I'd love to answer any questions or help you get connected to our church out in the courtyard. There's a welcome uh, center, so we'd give you a gift, help you uh, find out more information about our church. Uh, also, if you click the QR code in front of you, there you have the ability to go into some prayer requests so we can pray with you or celebrate with you. And online as well, there should be a QR code for you to click and just help us connect with you and get to know you. Uh, also, just want to give like a quick kind of update to help people maybe process through. Like, So you guys came at the 10 o'clock service and maybe you had a hard time parking, right? And so what we're excited about is that there's a lot of people coming to our church and what happens sometimes is things get full. And so that's a, that's a good thing and we're excited about that, but also want you to know that part of it's intentional. Because the question we get is, why don't we space out the services so then you guys never have to see each other first and second service, right? And while I get that and it make it really easier to get things and get parking, we want there to be some interaction that, hey, there's people here that come first service that are also part of our church family and be good for you to know them. And some of them are in classes right now and some of them go. So when we have it at these times, it has gives you the ability to be like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people go to my church I didn't even know. That's a good thing, right? And so just keep that in mind as maybe you're trying to, you know, go on your fourth attempt to get a parking spot. Also, just some quick things not everyone knows is along Ash, you can park. It says no parking, but if you look really small letters, it says except on Sunday, okay? So you can actually park along here and there's an entrance. There's also a parking entrance off Ash. You can park way down there. Um, if you have a hard time walking, bad, bad back, bad hips, I get it. But if you're able-bodied, maybe down there more. There's also Barrington and then also Half Moon. So just trying to create space for people um, because we really do like that courtyard when there's lots of people getting to know each other. Um, knowing that, hey, we're all part of the church family. And so we just wanted to just kind of bring that aware. We're aware of the parking, but we, we view it as a good thing, and we're excited. Um, second thing is this Saturday from 8 a.m. to 12, we're going to have a, a seminar on family discipleship by Pastor Scott Aravandis. Uh, he's a pastor in Kingsburg as well as uh, a professor at the Master Seminary. And so it's just going to walk through how do we disciple our children, and how do we have hard conversations with them, how do we engage with our adult children, and uh, just, you know, in a crazy time, we have helpful, practical wisdom from God's Word. So I encourage you to come to that. So we're in the last sermon of our series here on watching and watchfulness and what it means. And so we've kind of walked through um, watching the world and being um, aware of what's going on and watching our own holiness and our own spirituality and what God's doing and godliness. And this last part's going to be, so if we watch the world, and we watch what's going on in God's Word, and watch what's going on in our own life, is that we would watch, 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 and then warn. And so this passage is going to walk through um, that as Christians, we're called to warn. Um, warn non-Christians, warn each other, and it's a very loving thing. And kind of get rid of this idea that our culture wants to tell us, if you love me, you'll affirm me, and you won't say anything. Um, God has some different things to say about the topic. So I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll walk into uh, Ezekiel 33. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for loving us. And uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you tell us, hey, this is bad. This will hurt you. This will harm you. Um, this is a better way to trust you, to love you, uh, to walk according to your word. So it's our prayer that you would uh, challenge our hearts, that you would convict our hearts, 
You would give us a deep passion for your word to be like your son Jesus and to help each other in the process, even though it might be uncomfortable or hard or scary. And so I just pray that you would speak through me and to be your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, the important part of this, let's, let's hop into verse 7, is I want you to see this, is that when, when you're warning people, because um, the watchman is tasked with the, the job of warning, is A, warning is not judgment, and, and, and warning, we're not warning about opinions, we're not warning about what we think, we're verse 7, so you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel, Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give it to them. All right, so he has a warning from me. So it's warning people with the word of God, what God said is harmful and hurtful and bad. And so as you walk through this, you're going to see that there's, there's people that don't know there's judgment that's coming. Those are non-Christians. They don't know that God created heaven and hell. And for those who have not uh, repented, turned, put their faith and trust in Jesus as the payment for their sins, that, that judgment puts them in hell. And then there's Christians that aren't turning, aren't repenting. And if you keep working your way through Ezekiel, you'll see that, that God says he doesn't, des- he doesn't delight in punishing the wicked, but that he's holy and he's just and he does. And his desire is that they would turn from their sin and follow. So you have these warnings, right? So we want to warn people about Christ. We want to warn people um, that we do have to give an account for the things we do and don't do in the body of Christ, Right? And they're also that God, as our Father, He disciplines those whom He loves. And so those are warnings that we're called to, like, hey, God says not to do that. God says not to do that. There's a better way. So we want to be consistent with that. So first one, you know, whenever, whenever we talk about hell, that's probably the second most emails I get. Like, you're traumatizing children, okay? So what we want to do is just, does the Bible actually teach it? And if it does, not apologize about it. And just say, God calls us to warn there's judgment. What's the judgment he's talking about? Revelation chapter 20, okay? Revelation 20, 11 through 15, it says this. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's a judgment for the works that people have done. 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. It says it again. 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And so what it's saying is the loving thing to do is to warn people who don't know about judgment coming is to warn them that there's judgment coming. Now, we have to make some distinctions. Who's the judge? Are we the judge? God's the judge. Okay, so God's bringing the sword through Christ, like Christ will judge, we're to warn. That's what the trumpet goes into. And the hope is that through blowing the trumpet, through warning the people, they'll turn from their sin, turn from their iniquity, and that they'll be saved, that they would come to know Jesus. So that's what we're called to. So a good question to ask yourself is, you know, do I know non-Christians? Am I praying for them? Do they know I'm a Christian? Have I shared my faith with them? Because there's two questions you have to reconcile, and and Christians don't like to do this, but I just 
hear me out, okay? So if we're stating, do we believe the Bible is true? Okay? Do we, do we love our non-Christian friends? Okay, then how, how can we affirm both of those but not share our faith with them? It's pretty hard to reconcile, isn't it? Because if we're not sharing our faith, it's either we don't believe the Word of God or we don't love them. Or we love something more than we love them, which would be, I'd rather them be friends with me and not share my faith than lose their friendship and share my faith. Or I don't really think the Bible uh, means what it says. It works for me, but it doesn't work for anybody else. Well, then you're not a Christian. You're a moralist or a relativist. Because Christianity is just one way, and it's the way that works for you. Do we see the dilemma there? Okay, so the, the question has to be, okay, I, I believe God's word is true, and I love this person. What the Bible is saying is the loving thing to do is to warn them that God has written, he has created, he's created us, he's created heaven, he's created hell, and if we don't put our faith and trust in Christ, we don't get to go to heaven and be with him. It's straightforward. So what's important is that is that we do know you know your testimony. These are things we want to, you, your goal is to try and share in the context of a relationship, right? Um, it can be hard to walk into a Starbucks and say, hey, I don't know you, but there's a heaven and a hell and walk through this, right? Yeah, that, that, that surely happens. But usually it's, hey, you know, I know you, but you need to, and you know me, but you need to know this. I once was like, you know, child of wrath. This was me pre-Christ. And then God changed me. His son, Jesus changed me. And I, and I believe God's word wholeheartedly. And, and I love him so much, I would love nothing more than for you to love him and for you to know him. Because if you don't, your eternal destiny is not in God in heaven, it's in hell with Satan. And I don't want that for you. I love you. That seems like a loving thing to do, right? That's the warning in the passage. Second is, do, we, do you know the gospel well enough that you can articulate? You know that God is the designer. He is the creator. He's the moral lawgiver. He's the one who decides all things. And he creates us to be in a relationship with him, to love him, worship him, bear his image. We break the relationship through sin, creates a debt that we can't pay. God sees that we can't restore the relationship on our own. He sends Jesus. Jesus lives the perfect life, fully man, fully God. He dies, rises from the dead, conquers sin, conquers death, right? And so then the only way we get to be with God is accepting Jesus as that payment, turning from our sin. So you look down in Verse 8, this is what he's getting at. I, if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that the wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So it's saying if we don't warn them, that person dies in their sin, but there's an accountability that comes on the Christian. Saying, hey Christian, if you love me and you love them, then you will warn. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Okay, so the accountability is on us to share. And he says, or oh, I will acquire it at your hand. Well, what does that mean? We still go to heaven if, you, if you're not sharing your faith. It's not what he's saying. But Christians, we do have to give an account for the things we do and the things we don't do. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 10 makes it clear. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Okay. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So what is he saying? He's saying literally, Christian, you're going to give an account. 
have loved you, have saved you, have given you the Holy Spirit, given you God's word, equipped you, you need, you're going to give an account for that. And here's our goal, is that we wouldn't stand before God and say, hey, I love you, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, I just didn't want to do anything you said. Is that how we want that conversation to go? It's like, no, I did everything I warned, I was warned, I tried, I labored, and here's where I fell short. He says he still loves us, you still go to heaven, but there is an accountability. And we need to know that. And that's part of the warning, if you read down verses 12 and 17, is that the goal is that part of Israel who knows God, that they would turn from their sin and get back what they know to be right, because they've been given the law of God and they're not following it. He says he desires they would turn because there's an accountability. Now, there's, there's a third aspect of this, is that God's our Father. God disciplines those whom he loves. And, and so I want you to think of it this way, is what type of sibling do you want to be? Do you want to be the sibling that goes, oh, I know mom said don't touch that, but I'm not going to say anything because I just can't wait to see you get punished. We know those siblings, right? Or are we the type of sibling in Christ that says, you know, the father said not to do that, and I would hate to see God discipline you in a way because discipline is painful, okay? Hebrews 12, 4 through 11 says this, says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's like, hey, you need to resist temptation and you need to resist hard. But when you don't, right? Five, and you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what are we saying? We're saying that God does discipline us, but how nice would it be if a Christian maybe warned us and said, hey, you know, God's word says not to do that, the words from his mouth, and that could lead to discipline, that could hurt. Doesn't that seem like a loving thing to do? How many times have you told your kids, hey, don't do this, and then they do it, and, you're, and what's the cry of your heart? If you would just trust me, if you could just trust me, it's painful if you do that. Wouldn't you just almost die for your kids just to trust you so they don't have to learn the hard way? Isn't, is that true of parents by nature? And this is God saying, look, I'm going to discipline you because what I'm telling you is best. And other Christians say, hey, if you would just speak up and warn people, warn them that God has a better way, God says not to do that, you might actually help your brother and sister Christ turn from that sin and not do it. Here would be a good example for you. Do you know how many affairs I think we could have stopped if people just would have spoke up? If people just simply would have spoke up, just said something. And I'm not trying to demean the person who does this. I know there's lots of reasons why from being scared, you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to start something. You don't know the whole story. 
But if one person just would have said, hey, I saw these two people and they aren't brothers and sisters, right? You know, oh, I love them like a brother. That's a lie. You, you don't flirt with your sister. You know what I mean? Like, think through that. And someone just would have said something. Maybe we addressed that earlier. And then maybe it never goes, you know, full-blown chaos. But what does it take for us to say something? And this is the point of the passage. If you love them, you will warn them. We give them that warning. How many times people in addiction, people follow bad doctrine. And here's the thing in Christianity that we kind of got to go to. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Okay, if you knew that was going to happen, either you're a liar or you're, or you're mean. Because you knew it was going to happen and you didn't say anything. That's mean, isn't it? Or are you lying? You didn't know that was going to happen, but you wanted to sound smart, so you said you knew it was going to happen. Why lack the warning? See, God's blessing to us is that we, and this is what you have to realize, think of a city, and they have walls, and these walls are to protect the city. Well, then what's the watchman do? The watchman goes up to the highest point, and he looks out, he sees, and he warns. Now, are we, if, if you're not the watchman, where are you? You're down here, the watchman's up here. Can you see what the watchman sees? Absolutely not. So by nature, a warning is trust. You have to trust what's being told to you. See, the problem is when we give warnings or we receive warnings, oftentimes we want to know, well, how do you know that? Well, it could be good. It might not be bad. You don't know them. You don't know this. We want to ignore the warning because we can't see it. The point of this is if you keep trying to figure out the warning, by the time you figure it out, you're going to get the sword. So warnings by nature require a level of trust that there is a person who is watching and they see something and they're warning and I need to trust them that this is bad. That maybe that conversation with that person was inappropriate. That maybe the way I'm treating my child or my spouse could be harmful. Maybe the author I'm reading is bad. Maybe, you know, fill in the blank. They're watching, they see, and they're warning. There is a level of trust that needs to happen. Now, what's weird is we, by nature, um, are not a trusting people, right? And for some reason, we don't like warnings. It's, it's always baffled me for people who smoke. It's like, this will kill you. I'll take four packs. It's like, wow, I don't understand. Like, it tells you and it will kill you. And it's like, yeah, I'll take four of them. And I get it. You know, there, there is this kind of uh, distrust with the government, with the medical industry, with the schools, and it's big pharma trying to trick everybody and make more money, and the communists are trying to take over. I get all that, okay? I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying I understand the disinformation movement. Here's the beautiful thing. When the warning comes from a Christian, it comes from the Word of God. Right? It says, warn them from the words that come from my mouth, verse 7. And hopefully we know that doesn't mean God has a literal mouth. That's a different sermon. So you see the words of God are the warnings that are be given to the people. And so the, the, the thing is, it's warning them, hey, God's word says this is bad. And it could hurt you. And the best thing for you to do is to trust God. So then that begs the question when we think of warnings, do we truly believe that God's way is better? Because if we do, then we would warn them. Have you ever heard people argue about who has a better cheeseburger, 
what car is faster, what sports team is going to win. I got in that debate in the courtyard, right? Oh, they'll fight and they'll lobby because if you think something's better, you will fight for it and you will warn them of the inferior product to the superior. So here's the question. If God is truly better, then why don't we warn? See, too often in Christianity, we say that God is better, but we give no explanation. We give a warning, but we give no reason. Um, the example I'm going to walk through with you is marriage. Okay, and I'm not trying to be crude or crass. I'm just trying to be very extremely biblical and pastoral with you. When I was growing up, they told you, don't have sex, it's bad. Get married, enjoy it. Right? That's not a whole lot of context, is it? Okay? So when it says that the intimacy between a man and a woman is reserved for marriage, it's not just God being crude. It's not God being angry. It's not God not understanding how humans work. His way is better. Just walk through some simple principles. If you've had 12 partners and your spouse is the 13th partner, you've now invited the other 12 to participate in the marriage by comparison. When there's a fight, did you love them as much as you loved me? Did you say that? Did you say, did you, were you as nice to them as you were nice to me? Have you used that line before? Brings a lot of comparison into the marriage, doesn't it? But God says if you just would have the first person you're intimate with be your spouse, you are forever the greatest by default. You're the nicest, you're the most handsome, you're the manliest, the best, whatever. You're the greatest by default. God says his desire is that you wouldn't bring all that comparison into the marriage. Therefore, it's best that it happens intimacy within the context of just the two of you. And you don't have all the outside things that get brought in. Now, that doesn't mean your marriage can't be redeemed and God can't work through it. But he's saying if you follow my design, it's truly a superior way to be married. Is that fair? God's way is better. The way he sets up marriage is better. And so the warning is not God's the anti-fun God. It's he's, this way is better because he's the creator. He's the designer. Same goes with Sexual identity, male, female. God sets it up in Genesis. One man, one woman. And that's how marriage comes together. Not man, man, not female, female. Men can't be women, women can't be men. He designs it. Male, female, that's how you're created, that's how you're designed. That's the way God did it. It's not that God didn't know later on that science would reveal there's a better way. He's saying, I'm the designer, this is the best way. Okay, so the warning comes not from us judging people, us devaluing people, is that God designs things a certain way. He tells us to love nothing more than we love him. That's for our betterment. That's for our good. He's the creator. So when we warn people, it's very important. We don't just say, hey, that's bad. It's that, hey, God's way is better. And if you would open up your Bible, I can show you God as the designer. This is what he says. And if you've lived life, you can even walk through, you know, I used to have an addiction to this. I used to, you know, gamble. I used to drink. I used to look at pornography, whatever it is. And, and then God took that out of my life. I moved on from that. And it's truly better to be free from that sin. Here's how it's improved my emotional health. Here's how it's improved my spiritual health. Here's how it's improved my fill in the blank. It's truly a better way. God's way is better. See, if we really believe God wrote our Bibles, right? This is his word. We shouldn't have a problem sharing why it works. 
Is that a fair kind of statement to everybody? Okay, so, so that's the question. If you love God, you love people, will we listen to him and share with the people what we think the good God says? But we might lose friends over it. They might not, might not like the warning. They might not like what's being said. They might not trust the warning. It's a good way to say it. Okay? And an important thing to know is that a lot of your warnings are going to come from your pastors. They're going to come from your elders. Because God sets them up in the church to protect the church from the wolves, to teach them and to share with them. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch, see that? Watch over your souls. They're to go up into the tower. They're to look out and watch. As those who have to give an account, just like Ezekiel 33. Hey, blood be on your hands, pastor, because you didn't warn the people. Your job isn't to change them. It's to warn them and protect them, right? Let them do this with joy and without groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So you're going to hear from the pulpit, you're going to hear in classes, your kids are going to hear a warning. Hey, this is errant teaching here, errant teaching there. You need to listen. We're blowing the trunk. You need to run. Don't do it. And, and a lot of it's going to come down to trust. Because the watchman stands high and looks out, blows the trumpet. You don't get to see always what they see. Now, eventually you can go and say, hey, what did you see? Oh, it was this huge army and it was coming down and we were moments away. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I ran. But typically what you see in Christianity is, well, what army? What color was the flag? What, what sword did they have? What kind of sword? Did they have a bow and arrow? Was it the fast kind, the slow kind? Did they have horses? What kind of horses? And by the time you figure out if you should run or not, you're dead. Okay? And so it's very important. We trust that God has instituted men to teach and protect the flock. Our culture wants to love the wolves. The Bible says you beat the wolves, you love the sheep. And we'll get into that into Titus. But here's an example. And, and, and don't, don't focus on the person. Focus on the example. And I hope this has played out long enough that we can not get fired up about the person. You'll see the nature of what I'm getting at. Um, Rob Bell was a, a famous pastor years back. And um, I, I mean, I loved the guy. I read him. I was like, oh, this is so good. He came out with his first book. And then a man sat me down. He says, this man doesn't believe in absolute truth. He doesn't believe in the Bible, and he's a relativist. I'm like, what? He's going, look, Eric, 1 plus 1 is 2, 2 plus 2 is 4, 4 plus 4 is 8, 16 plus 16 is 32. And I'm like, but all he's written is 1 plus 1. And he's like, yeah, follow the math, follow the logic. Well, inevitably what happens years later, it's exactly what he said. He doesn't believe in hell, everyone goes to heaven, doesn't believe in the virgin birth, doesn't believe in the air and seas of Scripture, doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus. So you go through all that. Years later, it comes out. And so when, when he had this conversation with me, I was telling people, hey, don't read them. It's bad. Like, You're a mean pastor. You're judging another pastor. How dare you do that? It's like, well, let's look at God's word. He says it's clear Mary was a virgin, not some guy Larry in the woods. It's in the book. You can read it, right? He says these things. He says that truth is absolute. Jesus is the truth. You're walking through it. I'm like, well, you're just mean. You're angry. It's like, no, I'm, I'm Hebrews 13, 17. I'm accountable to tell the people that we're watching over that that's bad and blow the trumpet and warn them so they don't follow down the errant ways. Now, sometimes it takes years for these things to come out. But here's the question. On what basis is the pastor trying to lie to you 
so that you can go read my book. You know what I mean? I don't have a book, by the way. It is, this is what the Bible teaches. And, and if we open up the Bible and we talk about the Bible, we should be able to sit, separate the person, get away from the judgment and say, okay, yeah, that's bad. I can see how that's not scriptural. Heed the warning. Heed the warning because the world, as we talked about in the first one, they're going to try to deceive. Satan's the prince of the world. He's going to try to deceive. And sometimes that creeps into the church. And God appoints men to watch, warn, and love, and protect the church. And so sometimes it takes just a level of trust to say, okay, they said that's bad. We don't always see it. We don't always agree with it. But God's trust in place them there to do that. It's in the same way when you warn your friend, you want them to trust you, don't you? You're not trying to be mean. You're not trying to be angry. You're saying, this is harmful. Just trust me. It's what you do with your kids, right? I've been here. I've lived here. Please trust me. Don't go through the pain. And so the fourth part is you got watch, warn, trust, and pray. There's a huge amount of trust that you trust your pastors, your elders, but also other Christians that are warning, not doing it out of haste, not doing it out of envy or jealousy. So I'm going to walk through a list, just some things. It's a good time to cover it. Just some things you need to watch out for. We're not bashing organizations. We're not bashing people. We're saying these, if you're not careful, can lead to some serious harm. Okay. Any organization or Christian that supports LGBTQ, you need to be very, very, very weary of that. It goes against the inerrancy of Scripture, the clear teaching of God's design of a man and a woman. And it has a lot of things that lead us to very ungodly, unbiblical places. That doesn't mean we don't love them, we don't pray for them, we're not cordial towards them. It just means that God said no, and we need to be careful when we deal with that. Critical race theory, same thing. It doesn't mean that we don't care about the oppressed, that we don't care about people who are hurting, but we need to be careful that we don't read into Scripture what's not there based on something else. Okay? Bethel worship, it's not worship. God's not a therapist, and we're, we're not here to make him happy, and we're not the object of his eye, and he doesn't go down and, oh, I need you guys, and oh, if you guys, whatever you guys want. God doesn't work for us. Is that fair? Okay, I don't have time to walk you through all of this, but you need to be warned. I'm trying to warn you, right? Social justice movements. It's huge on give people stuff. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't warn them about the judgment that's coming. Just be nice and do nice things. The Ezekiel 33 part is, no, warn them. In an effort that they would turn from their sin. And Christian, if you don't warn them, their blood be on your hands. There's an accountability, 2 Corinthians 5. Hebrews 13, hey, pastor, warn your people about what's out there so that they are aware. You know, this, this one will probably get some pics. Enneagram, I get it, it's a personality test, but if you take it too far, it gets really weird. It gets really weird. You need to be careful. Steve Furtick, he said enough things now. I'm like, well, I need to watch out for that guy. He's kind of going off the rails. Celebrity Christians in general, I think you should be skeptical, okay? Christian deconstructionists, here's what happens. Christians like to watch Christians deconstruct their faith. Oh, my pastor lied to me. My parents didn't love me. Therefore, everything I thought I knew to be true can't be true, and I don't believe anything anymore. Christians, what I've noticed is they like to watch this, and then they start deconstructing their faith. Well, how do I know what I was taught? And how do I know the Bible? And I don't even know what I believe anymore. And so what happens is you deconstruct everything. The problem is it never gets reconstructed. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the reality for every person. At some level, how do you know where truth comes from? 
And how do you make decisions based on that truth? What we're saying is the Bible is the word of God. It tells us the truth and we make decisions according to it because we believe God speaks through it. The words of his mouth, verse seven. That's what we hold to. And so on some level, everyone has to account for that. What I'm noticing with deconstruction is people are like, well, I can't believe anything. Yes, you can. You can believe the Bible. You can trust Christ. You can trust God. And you can be warned that when you don't, it's painful and it hurts. And so heed the warning. Heed the warning. God gives us warnings as a blessing to help us so that we might not go down roads that lead to pain. That's why if you keep reading Ezekiel 33, God says he finds no pleasure in punishing the wicked. God's desire is that we would turn from our sin, trust him, love him. He's the designer. He knows what's best. So if you kind of look at as we conclude this series, think through it this way. We watch, we warn, and then we have to trust. On some level, we're going to have to trust the Christians that are trying to love us. We're going to have to trust the pastors and elders that are trying to warn us. Now, here's the thing. You can, you can walk through this very scripturally. You can walk through this and say, okay, you think that, you know, a man can marry a man. Let's open Ephesians 5. Let's go through Genesis. Let's go through 1 Corinthians. Let's look through that and show me where you get that. And simply saying, I, I, I can't agree with you because I can't find that in my Bible. Is that a mean way to approach it? It's not a trick question. No, it's not. Okay? So if you're apprehensive towards trusting somebody warning you, first heed the warning, step back and say, okay, now we got some time. Explain this to me. And then use your Bible. Say, hey, here's why the Bible says, and I trust God's design. And there's times when I don't understand why God says no, but I trust his character because he sent his son Jesus to die for my sins. That makes me trust him with all things. Is that a reasonable response? Okay. But there's going to be that element of trust sometimes. And sometimes we'll never know. God says it's better. God says this is the way to do it. And we just simply trust him. So we watch, we warn, and we trust. Some questions for us to walk through, okay? Do you know your testimony and the gospel well enough to share it? This is part of warning the non-Christian. It's, can you explain, hey, this is who I was pre-Christ. Here's who I am now that I've accepted Christ as the payment for my sin. Here's how he's changed me. Here I was a child of wrath. I've become a child of God. This is now my passions. This is now my identity. This is how it's changed my marriage. This is how it's changed. Whatever that is, can you tell that story? Because again, we're not called to judge them. We're called to warn them that judgment is coming. And we're saying that God has saved me. I love him. I want you to know him. That's your testimony. Do you know your gospel? Can you walk people through? Bad news. We're sinners destined for hell. Good news. If we accept the payment of Christ, we can be reconciled to God. You know, that, that's a simplification. But just walking through that, do we know that? And, and we're not beating people up if you don't know this. It's saying, hey, you know what? If I'm going to take this serious and I'm going to warn people, I got to warn them with the truth. Here's what God did in my life. Here is how you become a Christian. And I want to share that because I love you. Okay? Question two, who are you praying for about becoming a Christian? <clears throat> this is a very important thing. It's, it's very unnatural for us to want to share our faith in a lot of ways. 
because we could be rejected, we could be laughed at, we could get it wrong. There's all these insecurities and there's all these fears. So the act of praying prepares our heart to saying, no, I, I, I believe his word and I love that person. I'm going to share with them. You know, a, a good example, I got to sit down between a Muslim imam and a pastor and the most beautiful thing was that they were both trying to convert each other. And the imam said something very profound. He said, if you weren't trying to convert me, I would know you're not a Christian because there's no way you can read that book, call yourself a Christian and not try to convert me. He respected the fact that he was trying to convert him. And in the same way, it was like, hey, we respect that he truly believes his Quran. He truly believes it. That's why he's talking to us. There is this part that if I believe this, then I need to do this. And prayer is what helps move our hearts to be ready. And here's the second part. You start praying for opportunities. Man, you're going to wish you didn't because God's going to give them to you. All of a sudden, you're going to be like, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. You're like, oh, yeah, that's not an opportunity to share the gospel at all. No, it is. God will bring it. And you want to be ready because you've got your testimony already. You're thinking through what the gospel is, right? Three. What are some areas you need to study to be a good watchman? We've talked about this, kind of knowing the world, knowing your own sinfulness, knowing who has God placed me around? Who are the people in my life that God put me there to warn them, to love them, to show them that God has a better way and I want you to be a part of that. I want you to not go through the pain of disobeying him, whether that's judgment from being a non-Christian or that's being disciplined by the Father. Discipline's still painful, right? It's meant God's placed me there to warn them. I have the ability maybe to look out and see, and I see the danger coming, and I want to warn my brother or sister in Christ so that they might not endure that pain. Okay, so what do I need to study? Where in my Bible do I need to know so I could show them, hey, God's word doesn't say that. It's not my opinion. It's not my preference. I'm not better than you. I'm not stronger than you. I just can see this, and this is what the Bible says, right? Four, are there people in your life you need to warn? And if you really sit through and think, there's some people maybe you know, you're like, you know what? I've never talked to them about Christ and I need to. There's Christians in your life. You can see where it's going. You know they're headed in a bad direction. But you've taken a hands-off approach. Like, who am I? You're a watchman. And you're called to warn. And you're called to warn according to his word. Because verse 9, that's our goal, right? But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way. That person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. We want to stand before God one day and say, I did all that I could. I faithfully warned and presented because I truly believed you are better. And I truly believe you are what's best for all people. Isn't that the conversation we want to have? Two of us, we're going to work at that. The rest of you guys think about it, okay? Five, how is warning different than judging? Our culture wants to tell us if you warn, you judge. They're two different things. Who brings the sword? Christ. He is the judge. We're not saying, I have discovered what is right and wrong, and I have a new religion. If you don't believe it, you don't get to go to my heaven and my utopia, and I'm better than you. It's like, no, I believe in Jesus. He calls himself the truth, the Son of God, the payment for our sins revealed himself, John 1, through the word, the word of God. Here, I trust it. I'm warning you because I love him and I love you and I want you to know there's a better way in Christ. That has to be the cry of our heart is to warn people 
because we love God and we love them. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that your word is so clear. It warns us. It teaches us. It gives us the opportunity to not go into sin. It gives us an opportunity to live life the way you, the creator, designed it to be. And it's our deep prayer that we would trust you how to live. You've created us to love you. You've created us to come to gather in church. You've created us to sing. You've created us to warn. You've created us to share. You've created us to be like Christ. So it's our prayer that you would help us in that journey to trust you, to warn each other, to warn each other on the words that you've given, that we might follow them. And it's our prayers. we go into a time of worship, we would be grateful that you warn us, you love us, you teach us, you give us Christ as the example, you give us Christ as the payment for our sin, you give us Christ as the one to walk with us and love us because he paid for us. So that as we worship, we would be grateful. We would be grateful for all he has done. And we would sing from our hearts out of gratefulness for that beautiful work that only he could do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.